Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. My subject today is prayer, and it's part of the series The Church Jesus Would Attend. Now, many people have written a lot about prayer, but few have focused on corporate prayer. So I'm going to focus exclusively on the why, what, and how we pray when we come together, especially on a Sunday morning. Now, those of you who have been following this series know that in this series I'm addressing the question, what kind of church would Jesus attend? And although I've identified nine indicators of the presence of the Lord in the church, I freely acknowledge that these are also ways in which we respond to his sense presence. Prayer is the second of the nine indicators that I identified, but I need to amplify it to make it more accurate. I need to add the word passionate, passionate prayer. You see, prayer is communicating with God, and passionate, in this context at least, means expressing strong feeling. If we sense the immediate presence of the Lord Jesus in a Sunday service, then we will surely want to communicate with him passionately, heart to heart. Equally, it's hard to imagine that the Lord would be pleased to be in the midst of a people who feel little for him and don't really want to communicate with him. What makes corporate prayer different to individual prayer? And why is it an important element of the gathered church life? I want to address that. I think possibly the best way to answer these questions is to look through the window of the book of Acts into the corporate prayer life of the very first church, of the early church. The embryo church, of course, consisted of no more than about 17 men and women, Acts 1, 13-14. And they continued to meet together frequently after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. Now, significantly, the primary purpose of these gatherings was to join together with one mind in prayer. That's what it says. They joined together with one mind in prayer. They were constantly together, both physically and in unity of heart and mind. Jesus has had ridden from, from the dead, you see. He had spent 40 days with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And they had seen him with their own eyes, ascending bodily into heaven. And so surely it must have been natural for them to want to continue to talk to him as a group of disciples. So this then is the very essence of corporate prayer. A group of disciples talking passionately to Jesus. Now, ten days later, those same disciples, plus about another 100, were meeting again in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came with power to birth the church and to anoint its members with fire and wind from heaven. Acts 2 verses 1 through 4. The result of this was the start of a wonderful cooperation between God and His church. The spiritual disciples poured out into the streets from the room where they were gathering, and they were praising God in spiritual language, in tongues. Now this attracted a huge crowd of Jews, who to their amazement found that they could actually understand what the disciples were praying. You know, there's been a lot of confusion about this particular account in the book of Acts. So maybe it's better for me to read out the entire account. It's Acts chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 12. It reads as follows. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation unto earth. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked. Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Perga, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Now, as a very minimum, we, we can surely take from this passage the fact that the believers met together in prayer, that they were filled by the Holy Spirit with a spiritual power, and that this enabled them to speak out in prayers of praise, declaring the wonders of God. What is more, the Holy Spirit then enabled those in the crowd to understand what the disciples were praying. You know, P.S. Paul later identified these as two gifts of the Holy Spirit to the church, the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues. Now, in this early account, this first time it happened, they asked this question, what does this mean? And Peter answered the question by presenting the gospel of salvation. As a result, about 3,000 people were, they believed, put their faith in Christ Jesus, were born again of the Spirit, and were baptized. So, I guess the next question we have to ask is, was this a once-off spiritual birthing of the first church, or was it an ongoing baptism of the Holy Spirit? what we often call it nowadays. And should we be expecting this to continue? And should we be, in fact, praying for it in, in our church today? Well, again, in the biblical account, something similar happened just a short while after Pentecost. Peter and John were hauled before the Jewish religious hierarchy. They were told to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. You'll find that in Acts 4.18. So their first response was to publicly reject this instruction. But their second response was to report to the gathered church. And Acts 4.24 records what the church did when they heard what had happened to their leaders. Here's what it says. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And then they asked him to enable them to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Well, then the Acts account goes on in verse 31 and says, And after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly. So this alone should encourage us to meet together regularly, to pray corporately as a, as a people. However, Corporate prayer also featured in several other aspects of the early church life. For instance, after Judas had killed himself, 
the disciples felt that it was necessary to appoint a replacement for him. So what did they do? They prayed together and asked God to help them decide on which of two candidates was more suitable. You'll find that in Acts 1.24. Sometime later, the apostles appointed seven deacons to distribute food to the needy in the church. But before they ordained these men, what did they do? They prayed and laid hands on them. Acts 6 verse 6. Then later, Samaria experienced a revival and the church in Jerusalem sent Peter and John to go and check it out. Acts 8.15 And it records that when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. There it is again. They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, later still, the kingdom of God spread to the city of Antioch where Barnabas and Paul co-pastored a rapidly growing church. We now are in Acts 13, verses 2 to 3. And it gives this account, it says, While they, that's the gathered church, were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, of course, the theme of corporate prayer runs on through the rest of the book of Acts. But its importance is established right at the beginning of the church in Jerusalem, where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Acts 2, verse 42. So, in other words, when the church came together, that very first church, they focused on an intertwined combination of just four things. The apostles teaching about Jesus, the sharing of testimony and life, the shared meal of Holy Communion, and corporate prayer. Now, Paul later developed the subject of corporate prayer in his letters to the various churches, and a particular example of this would be 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Right, now, here's a picture that I will be putting before you in one form or another throughout the series. So, please use your imagination. Imagine for a moment that at some point in your Sunday service at your local church, everyone there suddenly becomes aware of the tangible presence of the Lord Jesus. There he is, standing right there. He looks around, and his eyes linger briefly on every person there. Then he says, Here I am, my dearest people. What would you like to talk to me about? Come, speak to me. Now, here's the question. What would you and the others there do and say? What would you do? What would you say? Would you start to mouth off well-used prayer cliches like, Most Holy Lord, we, your people, humbly beseech you? <laughs> I very much doubt it. Would you, would you bluster in and start a chorus? Or start reading out a scripture? Surely not when he's asked you to talk with him. Would you turn to your pastor if you were sitting near him and mutter, There's something wrong here, because we should only pray to the Father, you know? Well, surely, surely, surely not. No, I think that rather one of you would start to tell him, to start to tell Jesus how you feel about him. And then others would explain, Yes, Lord, that's how I feel too. And then somebody else would ask him for, say, forgiveness for apathy and faithlessness. And you may well agree with a heartfelt Amen as you associate with this prayer. 
Others would speak out expressing personal passion, but also seeking to express the heart and mind of the whole group. And hopefully, you would then all be silent as you waited with almost breathless expectation for Jesus to respond to your prayers. So, just as reverent and adoring worship is an indicator of and a response to the presence of God in our midst, so, I believe, is passionate prayer. And that's all for now. Next week I will be writing another article and then the week after that producing another podcast in the series. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth talks.